Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to focus in on a few verses uh, uh, there. And I'm going to begin this series called Jesus Revealed. And now, Jesus Revealed, is it, it, it's connected to something. There, there's a reason why I, I want to talk a lot about Jesus in this season. Now, right now, uh, the world, the Christian world, is aware that we're in a bit of a religious season. However, a lot of us who are uh, from more of a Pentecostal or charismatic background, we are not familiar with the season that we are in. It is commonly called Lent. Now, Lent, for um, um, it's not what comes out of a dryer or what you find in your belly button, okay? <laughs> it may sound like I'm saying that, but it's L-E-N-T, Lent. It is... Uh, and and I, I think they actually use the word because use the word Lent because the actual word in Greek and Latin is very very hard to say, and the actual word in Greek and Latin means forty days, and it's the forty days from Ash Wednesday to the celebration of the resurrection. Okay, and so but where this word Lent comes from, it comes from Old English, and. The old English word, you and I would know this word as lengthen, lengthen. And it doesn't really have any spiritual connotation at all. It actually has a connection to this day. Today is the first day of spring. And the days get longer in the northern hemisphere, at least. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, they're getting shorter because it's fall. So, here we are in this season where what you do is as the days get longer, the idea behind Lent is that you would take 40 days of that season when the light is getting brighter and shining longer and you would dedicate them to spiritual renewal and personal revival. That's how Lent began. Now, it may not be that today, practicing in those religious circles, but I'm here to tell you that there is something beautiful about thinking, I'm going to take the days leading up to the, the celebration of the resurrection, and I am going to commit to making a fresh Commitment to Christ through intimacy and holiness. How many of you think that's a good idea? How many of you say, I want to live in greater spiritual vitality. I want more of the life of God surging in me, moving through me, the thoughts of God, the presence of God. Who doesn't want that? And I think that it's, 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 it's so connected that while the days are getting brighter and brighter, that we go to the moment where Jesus gets revealed in a very personal way to his disciples. They followed him for, for many, many days preceding this. And yet, there is a pivotal moment where a revelation of who Jesus is came. We're going to talk about that moment, and we're going to look at the details because the details in this story, they apply today. 
Now, begins in verse 13, Matthew 16, 13, it says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that the son of man am? Who I, the son of man am? They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the, uh, the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, so he begins, he takes this moment of revelation and he begins to walk them to the resurrection. So that's why this passage, that's why we need this passage here. Now, this is one of the most pivotal times for the disciples when it comes to knowing Jesus and his purpose. It is very important, church, that we don't just simply say, well, I know who Jesus is without knowing his purpose. There are some details in this story that are very noteworthy that at, at just if you just commonly glanced at this passage, you would overlook. Now, the details of this moment will help us with our revelation of who Jesus is. Now, first detail I want you to note is the culture. The culture. It says this. When they arrived, when they came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you were just reading the Bible, you would just, we have no connection to that. If you've never been to Israel, you would be like, okay, whatever, Philippi sounds like Philippians. Maybe it's the same place. Maybe it's not. It's not. The, the Philippians actually lived in, in Macedonia. That's closer to modern day Greece. Okay. So that's, that's, that's kind of around the corner. This is actually a region in northern Israel that belonged to the tribe of Dan. And it was their region that they oversaw. Now, Caesarea Philippi was famous that because when you would come into that region where Dan lived, there was something noteworthy in the topography. You would walk into Caesarea Philippi and immediately you would see something, a giant rock structure looking like a cliff that ascends up hundreds and hundreds of feet. It's a giant cliff. But not only is it a giant cliff, but at the base of this giant cliff was a cave dedicated to idolatry and pagan worship. In the land of Israel, 
You see, 19 BC, so before uh, uh, Jesus was born, before all the disciples were born, this area was dedicated to the worship of the idol god Pan. And Pan is known as a goat god. There, there, they, would, they would go there and they would play these, uh, the, these pipes there. And uh, Pan was a god of fertility. So anytime in ancient culture there was a god of f- fertility worshipped, there was all kinds of sexual sin and deviance happening at this place of worship. And it's all happening in this temple that was built and dedicated at the base of this giant rock structure with this enormous cave at its base. This cave had water that would rise from it and spill out. And, and, and some would think that uh, the, the, the original waters of the Jordan actually are somehow connected in the aqua, aquifer system to it. But here's this giant cave. The Jewish historian Josephus, he said, it was so deep, the water so deep that anyone who ever tried to measure its depth could never get to the bottom of it. That's why it was famously called the gate of Hades or the gate of hell. Now, as this idolatrous worship is happening with all kinds of sexual sin going on, they were always, always taking goats and throwing them and drowning them in this water as part of their worship. But... Since Pan was considered to give fertility to people, there were also times they did the same with little children. And they would drown babies in this cave called the Gate of Hell. So imagine the scene. Floating bodies. Pagan worship. And Jesus takes his disciples there. Now, all of the, most of the rabbis, especially the ones in northern Israel, they basically said, if you are a good Jew, you never go to Caesarea Philippi. It would be like a preacher standing on the stage and say, if you are a good Christian, you never go to Sin City. Why? Because of all the stuff that's going on there. And yet, Jesus, who many people called rabbi, takes his disciples into the worst part of the culture. What you, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you understand what was happening here. Why would Jesus take his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the place no other rabbis are going, no good Jews are going? Why is he taking them there? Because it, exa- it, it was an, the example in real living life of the opposite of all of the life and all of the goodness that comes through following the one true God. Like this 
Look, look, look at this. Look at this, look at this cave. Look at this death. Look at this idolatry. This represents what happens when culture is devoid of God. Does this sound familiar? Oh, it should sound familiar. We're living in an hour where our culture is devoid of God. I mean, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, just a few years ago, you could have never imagined that people with a straight face are calling good things evil and evil things good. Like with a straight face, people will look at you and tell you a baby in a womb is a parasite. Listen, let me be clear. That is evil. That's the message of culture. It was going on in Jesus' day. They're drowning and killing babies. You go all the way back to the fires of Molech in the Old Testament, and they're sacrificing babies. There has always been a war against children. Why is it that all of the the firstborn sons were killed when Jesus came onto the planet? Because Satan's plan has always been to destroy those who are made in the image of God, who have the possibility of living out his purposes it is evil let me be clear in case you're wondering abortion is evil it should be stopped we should give efforts and be clear we should be loving to anyone who has ever gone through it wrap our arms around them say there's grace there's forgiveness there's life in jesus but make no mistake that jesus brings his disciples to the clinic here we are in culture and there's so much confusion Go figure. The Bible talks about a spirit that would come on the last day called the spirit of Babylon. Babylon would come and and Babylon is resurrected in the book of Revelation in the last hour. Do you know what Babylon means? Sown in confusion. It means there comes confusion and that people call evil things good and they don't even know who they are. And by the way, we're not, we're not judgmental. We love people. Listen, listen, if you're confused, where do you need to be? You need to be in the house of God. That's the place where clarity comes. You need to be where Jesus is. You need to be in that place where you're, listen, if you're addicted to drugs, you ought to be in God's house. Yeah, I tell you, if you're broken, you say, man, I've got my life twisted and messed up. Get in the house of God because that's where, listen, Jesus isn't walking away from you. His, he is walking his disciples to you in culture. And the Apostle Paul prophesied that we would experience such. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Sounds like everything on the radio. How about this one? Right after blasphemy, disobedient parents. (laughs) 
had some grandma shouting in first service. Y'all like, man. We want God to come and do something. Another marking, unthankful. Listen, entitlement. It's going up. Why? Because God said in the last days, people would be unthankful. Unholy. Hello? Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. They go to church. They just don't let the power that's in the church into them. God's going to change that today. He goes, and, and fr- he says, and from such people turn away. Now, by the way, this is saying, Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, it's not that you're not supposed to be friendly. You're not supposed to give these people influence in your life. God's called all of us in the kingdom to be an influence in everyone who is dealing with these things, which is common to the culture of the last hour. God says, no, I'm making you the light of the world. You're going to be a city on a hill. You're not going to be able to be missed. I'm going to fill you with my character, my life, and my spirit, and God is going to use you. But you can't, you can't allow the, the voices in your life to come from that perspective. Notice, Jesus doesn't run from the culture. He took his disciples to it. Why? Because Jesus was showing the atmosphere in which he would be revealed. He brings them to this place. Why not the temple? I mean... It was rebuilt. It's wonderful. It's the very place where Abraham got the revelation that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees my need and meets the need. And there's a ram caught in the thicket, the very picture of what who Jesus would be, the lamb supplied from God. Nope. The place of revelation, Caesarea Philippi. A place dedicated to demons before they were ever born. Jesus is saying, church, don't be afraid of the culture that you have been born into. I have brought you here in this hour to be an influence on that culture. And make no mistake, in the midst of the idolatry and the sin and the evil, Jesus will be revealed in this hour. Culture cannot stop the revelation of Jesus. Oh, let's look at the second. This second one is, it'll kind of blow your mind too. Uh, Not only in this story do we find Jesus carrying his disciples to culture, he actually, once he gets them there and they see this scene of idolatry, he brings up the conflict. The conflict. He says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In the back, uh, backdrop of this demonic culture, Jesus brings up a conflict that's going on in the hearts of the disciples. 
He asked them, who do, who, who do, what are other people saying about me? Did you notice they all spoke up? They're all speaking up. They're all, they, all, they all have answers to that. Can you imagine? Thomas, man, come here. Come here, man. What are you doing following this rabbi? I don't think he's, I don't know about him. I think he's like John the Baptist. And they're listening to this. Why John the Baptist, by the way? I mean, after all, probably by, by this moment, he's already been beheaded. He's dead. And people are saying, Jesus is a weird, mystical being like a ghost. Like, I even wonder, in fun, in jest, if Jesus didn't put the disciples on the boat in the storm and send them out that night, and then when he came walking to them on the, on the, the lake, the Bible says they were terrified thinking it was a ghost. I think I know why. Because they had been listening to people. I think he's like the ghost of John the Baptist. They were terrified. He says, no, it's me. And Peter said, well, if it's you, bid me come. I said, oh, you're, you're like John the Baptist. They're, they're hearing other people's opinions about Jesus. Then it, then it says, then it says or, or he's Elijah. Now, this is a big deal for a Jewish person. To say that Jesus was Elijah is, is not like saying something evil. It's actually saying something quite prophetic. You see, at every Passover meal, there's an empty plate and a cup that's set out for Elijah. And they are believing that Elijah will come and restore all things. So they are thinking to themselves, well, he's not the Messiah, but he could be something good. He could be something prophetic. He could be, he could be Elijah come back to, to kind of put things in order. So he's saying, well, some of them are saying some pretty good things. But then others are saying, no, he's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Why? Because no one listened to him in his day. They, they went back to what he prophesied at, after his ministry and looked and said, whoa, what he prophesied is exactly true. But no one listened to him. He, you know, so, the, so what people were saying is like, yeah, he's, he's kind of out there. I don't know if anybody should listen to him. And where is all of this information? It's in Jesus's disciples. So he brings them to the culture of idolatry and then brings up the conflict. You know, there's a conflict in our culture. There's a couple of things that you're never supposed to talk about. Politics and religion. <laughs> and if you talk about either on Facebook, you'll, you'll be suspended. So you might not be able to watch this later. <laughs> By the way, in the midst of that moment, there's about to be a revelation of Jesus. He says, 
You've been listening to all these other people's opinions. And by the way, this went on for years after Christ ascended and went to heaven. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. He's saying, listen, uh, this has been, he was saying, Galatians, you're turning away from who Jesus really is. You're listening. Listening, just like those early disciples did to other voices and you shouldn't be listening to them because they're bringing in a mixture that is not uh, really the true gospel. So there was religious conflict over who Jesus was much like there is today. The major religions of the world all recognize either Jesus was a rabbi or they recognize him. Other major religions recognize Jesus as a prophet. I would say this to you. If Jesus is a prophet, and he is the prophet, by the way, uh, he wasn't a very good one. Because in order for a prophet to be widely accepted, then his words must be true. Then John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We, everybody in, in, in that religion who calls him a prophet, when you quote that verse, they say, he said that? Yes, he said that. And if he's a prophet, then you should listen to the words of the prophet. Jesus doesn't avoid religious conflict. And by the way, most people, you should listen to me, don't argue their way into an encounter with God. But Jesus just brings it to the surface. What have you been listening to? But let's look at this third this third element, which I think is really key, and it's the change. There's a change that comes. The change came when Jesus made who he was very personal to his father, followers. Individually, he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, when Jesus made it personal, it positioned them for revelation. Listen, do not squirm in your chair when Jesus comes in this service, grabs hold of your heart and you're not at your, he's not asking you who does your mother think I am who does your father who would who did your grandfather say that I am but who do you say I am it will only be personal revelation that positions you for change Simon spoke up now we don't call him Simon we call him Peter why? Because in this moment, when Jesus made it personal, Jesus changed his name. Now, Simon, 
in much of the church world, represents the first leader of the church. Catholic Church calls him the first pope. Bad news for the Catholics, the first pope was married. Had a family. I don't know, work that out in church history, my Catholic friends. So, he's called the, the first leader of the church. So let's just say that Peter represents the church. This, this Simon represents the church. Do you know what Simon means? Simon means, in Hebrew, one who hears. Simon means one who hears. Which leads me uh, to, to give you a, a, a free point. The church has always been has always had an ear to hear from God despite your personal opinions about whether or not you can hear God. The church is built to hear God. So Simon's name means one who hears. Now that's not too bad. Except he has just brought Simon out of a conversation about all he's been hearing. Because he hasn't only been hearing the right things, he has actually been hearing some of the wrong things. And in this moment, when Jesus makes it personal and says, who do you say I am? He's no longer listening to the voices of other rabbis or other people in Jewish community. Suddenly his ear gets tuned to heaven. And he speaks up in front of the 12 and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have no idea how radical a statement to the Jewish community that God had a son is. God has a son? What? It's a radical statement. And he says, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And I love this. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, you have heard from my father in heaven. You have heard. Now, you're not only going to live by what you've heard, you are going to live out of revelation. You see, when he changed his name to Peter, it, he, he used this this uh, kind of play on words in Greek. He says, and you shall be called Petros. It means a small stone. And he says, and upon this rock, that word rock is Petra, it means a large rock. So he says, you will be called a small stone, and upon this large rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is he saying? He says, you are going from a person who merely listens about Jesus to one who has had an encounter that has led to revelation. You are going to live out of this revelation so much, it's changing your name. It's changing your identity. It's changing who you are. You're not just one who hears. Boy, I tell you what, I bet if we took a, a poll in here, we could 
talk to many of you about how many services you ever attended and how many sermons you had heard and how much you had heard your mom talk about Jesus or your grandmother or your grandfather talk about Jesus and all you did was hear it. But there was a moment when Jesus made it personal and then suddenly you had a name-changing moment. A name-changing moment where you went from one who said, oh, I go to church, to the, to the next moment where you say, oh, I am the church. I am the church. I'm a full expression of this revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's why he said, hey, you're a chip off the old block. That's what he said. You're a little pebble. You're just like me. But he changed his name. I actually had this thought, and I hope you can handle this and think through this with me. You know, God gave away the authority to naming things to man in the garden. He said, go ahead, Adam, name everything. And when God decides to come down and make covenant with man for the first time in Genesis with a man named Abram, what's he do? He starts changing names. Why? Because fallen man will always label you things that are far less than your calling in Christ. And so Abram has no idea as he's walking around in the, the region of Ur that he is truly the father of many nations. He doesn't know it until God shows up and makes it personal with him. And God says, and when, when Abram falls at his feet, he says, he says, you'll no longer be called Abram, but you will be Abraham. And then he says, oh, your wife, she won't be Sarai. She will be Sarah. God shows up and starts renaming things after who he has called them to be. And here we are in this moment where, where God is changing names. By the way, the one, the one who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he had a name-changing moment, didn't he? His name used to be Saul, and then he became Paul. Why? Why did these people, why does God consistently, when he shows up in personal revelation, change these people's names? It's because who they, who they were doesn't reflect who they are after they have met Jesus. Listen, Christianity is not just about forgiving your sins. Let that sink in for a moment. Christianity isn't only about you getting your sins forgiven. It's actually about you getting your sins forgiven and then being an expression of Christ every second, minute, hour, day, month, and year God gives you on this planet to be a witness of him. Yes. So he doesn't want to just forgive you of sins. He wants to free you from your sin and launch you into the change that is only made possible through Christ and this personal revelation. Suddenly, Simon took on a new nature. 
the nature of the one he had the revelation about. In other words, Simon was changed into an expression of Christ on the earth. And notice when it happened. It's when he spoke up. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus changes his name. Why? After he spoke up. We find out in Romans chapter 10, actually. See, Romans chapter 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, this word in Greek, sozo. It does mean saved, but it means forgiven. It means rescued. It means totally set free. Given a new nature. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto. That means it manifests salvation. It manifests with the mouth confession. Manifests salvation. The work that's been done in you. So I'd like to say to you, if you're here under the sound of my voice, God wants to change your name today. He wants to change your name today. Most people, when we think of Christ, we think of, we think of man, I just want to add a little God into my life. I just want to add a little bit of Jesus. We think of Jesus like a fast food drive through Driving through, pastor, is, he's got his headset on, standing in the window. Hi, welcome to Calvary. How can I help you? Yes, I, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a little bit, I'm, I'm going to have a Jesus. Please uh, hold the conviction. I'm going to need extra grace, please. And uh, if I could get a buy one, get one free, that'd be good. <laughs> Anything that doesn't cost me something. That's really kind of how we think about Christ sometimes. And Christ is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about taking orders. It's not about thinking, wow, I just drive through, get some forgiveness, and I just go on with my life. No. Christ wants to take you into the middle of fallen culture, which is full of idolatry and death and upside-down thinking. He wants to take you right into the middle of religious opinions about Jesus, which are varied, many, and most wrong. He wants to take you into that moment with that as the backdrop and say, I want to reveal myself in you. I want to reveal myself in you. I don't want you to be one that just hears sermons, Simon. I want to change your name so that your life becomes a revelation of who I am. I want to tell you, culture doesn't define Jesus. 
and religious thoughts can't confine Jesus. But change is the result of a genuine revelation of Jesus. I believe God wants to do something profound in your life today. And if you're here and you say, I don't know whether I'm, I'm right with God. There is good news. He is standing today with arms open wide, full of grace, full of mercy, saying, come. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. Come, I'll wash you and make you clean. Come, all of you who, who, have been, who think, wow, I'm just going to be trapped in this, in this burden of sin the rest of my life. You know, Maybe if I do a little more good than bad, God will let me into heaven. Yeah, that's, I got terrible news for that plan. No one gets into heaven because they're good. The only people who get into heaven who have, are the ones who have placed faith in Jesus because he's good. Good enough to go to the cross, be buried, and on the third day raised from the dead. Knowing that his blood was enough to wash me and cleanse me if I simply put faith in him. And confess for myself that Jesus is the Christ. God wants to give you a revelation. He doesn't want you to just be a hearer today. He wants you to be a living expression of Jesus.